Oh, hi, Briar. Hey. Uh, what are you? What are you, you doing? You're not recording a podcast, are you? Uh, yes, I am actually. Oh, don't you know about what happened? No, they haven't told me anything. The Export Audio Podcast Network. It's got a death curse. Oh no. <laughs> Well, welcome to Cower Hour, a horror movie podcast. I am your host, Briar. I am your co-host, Nora. And I guess that's just how our intros go now. Cool. (laughs) Uh, So, this week on our inaugural podcast, we have watched Friday the 13th. Yeah, I had never seen this. Me neither. There's a lot of podcasts, uh, not podcasts, there's a lot of movies I haven't seen and I feel like this is a, a good place to start as, like, a fairly well-known slasher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I have, like, I don't have, like, a huge extensive history with horror movies in general, especially not this type of horror movie. Uh, I usually go for, like, spooky ghosts or uh, vampires, which uh, this movie has none of either of those, except maybe a spooky ghost, if you think about it in a certain way. Yeah, the majority of the horror things I've seen are mostly mostly either recent movies or parodies of horror movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So jumping back to kind of where a lot of this stuff started is really interesting. Yeah, I was not expecting it to be quite what it is, um, but uh, I have a question for you. Sure. What is Friday the 13th? Uh... Do you mean, like, structurally as a movie or as in a concept? I meant, do you have a summary of Friday the 13th? Oh, yes, I do. Strange that I would have that. Um, Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, so I figured we would put together a little recap just because, I know, I listen to a lot of podcasts without watching the thing that they are about. So a recap is handy. And I feel we can use it as a jumping off point to talk about things. Maybe this is the structure we keep with, maybe it isn't, but... We'll figure that out as we we'll go. Feel it out, you know. We'll, we'll find our we'll find our way. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's jump into Friday the Thirteenth. So, in the opening scenes, we're introduced to Camp Crystal Lake in the year 1958. From a first-person perspective, someone spies on the sleeping kids for a moment. After which, two of the camp counselors sneak away to fool around, as the kids say. <laughs> they're interrupted by someone, but their surprise turns to horror as they are both immediately stabbed and killed. Then the title card crashes through the screen. We are in it. I love that title card. That title card rules. I really wasn't expecting it. That caught me by surprise. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and then we immediately find out we are not actually in it as we fast forward to present day, which I'm assuming is 1980, the year the film came out. No, it's 2019. Oh, okay. Well, honestly, aside from the haircuts, probably <laughs> couldn't tell that much. Uh, um, look at all these people just enjoying life. Not a cell phone in sight. Oh, God. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, it is Friday, June the 13th, which is definitely not a day where anything strange would ever happen. And we are introduced to Annie, who is hiking through a little town en route to Camp Crystal Lake. Which is something nobody in the town seems excited to hear about, least of all our good friend, Ralph. Uh, everyone explains... Oh, Ralph's great. <laughs> I love Ralph. Everyone explains that it is very bad that Camp Blood, as they all call it, is opening again. Um, it has a death curse. I don't know if you've heard. A, de- a death curse? A death curse. Um, it has a death curse? Yeah, so I hear. They give Annie a ride anyway, because I, I guess they just throw kids to their deaths in this town. Yeah, uh, I was watching this with Autumn, and they were like, oh, so this is Dracula. It's just the opening of Dracula, where he goes to the village and then gets a ride in the carriage, and everyone tells him not to go. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I guess this is a, a format that comes up kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I've... I know people don't like Cabin in the Woods that much, but this is one of the things... Really? I don't know, maybe it's just the circles I run it. It is seen as kind of that's, overrated a bit. That's fair. I, I love that movie, personally. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just not seen enough horror to find it, like, gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is definitely one of the concepts they play with, like the doomsayers at the, at the gate, kind of. Right, yeah. But in Annie's car ride, we are told that Steve Christie is the one responsible for reopening the camp, and he has not been telling any of his new staff about what happened, which was the murders we saw earlier. Uh, the driver then goes on to drop Annie off outside a cemetery, which, you know, damn. Pointed. Just a little bit. Uh, we then cut to some new friends. Bluegrass plays as Marcy, Ned, and Jack roll up to Camp Crystal Lake in their car. Uh, Jack and Marcy seem to be in a relationship, and Ned is a weird third wheel. Steve Christie is here, who, in my notes, I've put brackets Ned Flanders. <laughs> uh, he is shirtless, trying to get rid of a tree stump, and everyone rolls up to help him out, including Alice, who I think is very cute. This is true. This was a, a thing that I noticed several times during the movie. Yes, it comes up in my notes many times. Was reading for Alice <laughs> the entire way. Uh, there are two more campers, Bill and Brenda, who are off helping sort out other sections of the camp. I believe... Brenda was painting, and Bill is doing something by the lakeside? Uh, who knows, honestly. It, it does not even slightly matter. <laughs> uh, the, the lake's not important to this movie at all. Not even a little bit. Kind of. Well, you were being sarcastic. I, I know. <laughs> I know talking. Anyway, so we jump back to Alice, who is fixing up a gutter. Steve turns up to help her and looks over some sketches that she's left nearby. He mentions how talented and pretty she is, and they discuss that she might have to leave the camp. But he asks her to stick around for one more week to help finishing setting up, and then he creepily touches her cheek, like straight people do, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. Then we jump back to Bill, who is by the lakeside. Someone watches Alice in the woods as she goes to check on him, and we hear that Annie hasn't showed up yet. Uh, I believe this is the point where Steve leaves to go and do things in town, and everyone talks about how they are at Camp Blood. And that, you know, that's foreboding a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit, though. Yeah. We get some little jokes and stuff here about alligators being in the cabins and so on. Uh, And this is where Brenda heads off to set up the just incredibly terrible-looking archery range. 
<laughs> um, she, she drags out like a target to set up, and it's just torn to complete pieces. Um, yeah, it's uh, it reminded me of doing archery in the Boy Scouts back in the day, but uh, we had fancy styrofoam targets. Ah, see, this is an experience I haven't had because I did not leave the house very much. I wish I had that experience instead. It was okay. Uh, at this point, Neb nearly kills her as a joke, I guess. Oh, right, this. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yep. <laughs> almost completely perforates her with an arrow. Um, almost. <laughs> then he does some accents at her, and they just wander off into the woods again. Uh, we return to Annie, who is now getting a ride from someone in a jeep, but mysteriously we only see their, their helper from first-person perspective. A little bit suspicious. Mm. Uh, they go straight past the entrance for Camp Crystal Lake, and Annie ends up jumping from the jeep after her driver ignores her request to stop. She flees into the woods, but her pursuer gives chase, uh, and then her assailant catches her and slits her throat. It is quite messy. I was surprised by like how quick all of these kills are. All these deaths in this movie are just like, oh, okay, dead. Yeah, they're very like matter of fact. There's not much mm-hmm. chasing in them. I think this is like the longest individual chase we get early. Other than like the ending. Yeah, I think Annie is definitely the only, well, the first person to kind of realize that they are being attacked. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, I believe during the sequence we get a shot of the attacker's big heavy work boots. While this is happening, the others are enjoying a fun time on the lake, again being spied on in first person as they do so. Um, and they continue to spy on the kids as Ned pretends to drown for attention. Oh god, Ned, Ned fucking sucks. Yeah, what a what a, a great kid. Yeah, so then we jump back to Alice, again, still cute, uh, scared by a yeah. snake in her cabin. She screams <laughs> and Bill comes in from what looked like hitting grass with a machete. Sure, you gotta get it ready for the camp. Yeah, we can't have any of that grass. Not at camp. Uh, no. She recruits Bill to try and deal with the snake. He doesn't really do anything. Um, and then everyone else shows up, literally every other character except Steve, and they completely <laughs> fuck up the cabin in about ten seconds. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Um, I believe someone just like jumps on the bed at some point and completely removes the mattress from it. Mm-hmm. It's impressive, I guess. They fucked that room up. Yeah, it is a complete and utter mess. I believe everything in the room is broken. Feathers everywhere from the pillows, because, you know, if you're trying to kill a snake, you want to hit it with a pillow. Yep, it is a complete disaster, and then Bill beheads the snake. And the most, like, oh, I guess that's done now. Um, And we cut to the road as a cop shows up. Ned is jumping around and being racist. Um, I guess that's just a thing he does as well. The cop is asking about Ralph and also talking about, you know, that good weed, the devil's lettuce. (laughs) He's very... Mary Jane... He's very, very invested in making sure that these kids are not smoking weed. Yeah, his name's like Officer Dolph or something. It's very good. And he's like, we're not, we don't take kindness, kindly to any weirdness out here. <laughs> nope. Um, he is looking for Ralph, but ends up being called back to town. The chief wants him, apparently. I also had a note there that all the kids immediately jump at the chance to help a police officer. Except the one guy who tries to steal the bike. Yes, well, he's completely off his fucking kite, is <laughs> what I interpreted that as. Um, also, Alice isn't here. Alice wouldn't help a cop. I believe that. Yeah, yeah I, I agreed. <laughs> in the highlight of the movie, Alice goes to open the pantry and Ralph is in it. <laughs> <laughs> just just hanging out. 
Yeah, weird that Alice gets all these um, early scare scenes. Strange. Mm-hmm. Also, it's like he's not even hiding; he's just standing nope. in the pantry. It's so. I assume this was completely by accident, but this like the moment of him just being stood there in the twilight of his pantry really reminded me of Hereditary. Hmm, I haven't seen that, but I've heard good things. It has a lot of moments where there are just like people stood, kind of in shadow. Mm-hmm. Not in a way that's, like, hidden or anything. They're just stood there. Hmm. Uh, and it it very much reminded me of this. Um, Ralph is a messenger of God. He needs to make sure that everybody knows Camp Crystal Lake has a death curse and that everyone here is doomed. A death curse? A death curse, yes. I love the phrase death curse. It's so direct. <laughs> it's very evocative. Um, we, get a long, we get a long shot of Ralph just, like, pedaling away on his bicycle again. Oh, Was yeah. Was there some like weird eighties stigma against bicycling? Because both times we see Ralph, we get the shot of him getting on his bicycle and leaving. I I don't know. It's it, Ralph as this ephemeral character who just shows up places makes a lot of sense if he can just bike through the trees instead of driving. But yeah, um, Ralph that... is definitely treated by basically everyone as like some weird nuisance. Yeah. Um... And that shot does linger. We get a nice long shot of that bike riding. Yeah, but he's gone now. He is safe. He's uh, out, he's he's out of the movie. Yep, which is unfortunate because he's cool. Yeah, MVP. Um, I assume he just goes off to hide in someone else's pantry. Yeah, he's probably just hopped over to the next lake to like tell them about the other death curse. The many many death curses of this town. There is another lake on the road. It, like, there's a sign that points to a second lake. Um, I yeah, don't remember the name of it, but I bet that's where he went to go warn about the other death curse. It's Lake Tomahawk, so I assume there are other kids there being equally as racist as Ned. Probably. Uh, where was I? So, Annie still has not shown up. Um, I wonder why. So, Jack, Marcy, and Bill all go to turn the generator on and get some power in this place. Later on, Ned hangs out by the lakeside staring at Jack and Marcy, but notices a figure in the doorway of a cabin. He chases them in, and this is the last we see of Ned for a short while. Eventually, the weather turns south, and Marcy and Jack also join him in the cabin. Uh, I realize at this point that Jack is Kevin Bacon, looking <laughs> so much younger than I'm ever used to Kevin Bacon looking. Yeah, um, when we first meet this character, Autumn and I just looked at each other like, wait a second, is that Kevin Bacon? So I didn't notice, because a lot of the scenes he's in, at this point, he doesn't really look directly at the camera at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very strange we were both surprised to see him I was upset that he was hot yeah it's unfortunate it's fucked up he's on adverts in the UK a lot so I'm used to him looking like old ah yeah Um, but yeah a storm picks up so Jack and Marcy retreat to the cabin to fuck I guess Uh, Uh, yeah I think so Yes, it do be like that. Alice, Bill, and Brenda are all chilling and decide that they're going to play strip monopoly, drink, and smoke weed, which sounds pretty okay. Sounds pretty great. Uh, they get to this decision very quickly. <laughs> um, I guess it, it's never really established how long that group has been at the camp already. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they must have been there a little while at least, helping get the camp together. Uh, yeah, I bet if we like scrub through dialogue, if like. The scene where the uh, the guy's creepy to Alice. I bet they mentioned something in there somewhere. Oh, possibly. I didn't uh, pay attention we, to that. We cut back to Jack and Marcy, who are still having sex. 
as the camera pans up to reveal Ned lying dead on the bunk above them. That's that's a mood killer right there. Uh, they don't notice, so I guess not really. <laughs> <laughs> a fun thing I notice about a lot of the kills throughout this movie is that like nobody notices them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to a great length of covering up these kills until nobody, a certain point. Nobody notices them until the end of the movie where they become like pop-up books. Like... Yes, it's it's very good, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, we get some more brief scenes of Alice, Bill, and Brenda, who are all having a lovely time. Jack and Marcy's pillow is streaked with blood, but neither of them notice as Marcy leaves to go use the bathroom. Um, Jack lights up some of that, that good, kind kush, <laughs> and a drop of blood lands on his face from above. But before he can find out where it was from, a hand reaches out from beneath the bed and grabs his forehead, as a metal arrow is pushed through the back of his neck. It is... Very messy. Yeah. Um, also, impressive upper body strength. Yes, this is a like a very like surprising moment uh, that I liked a lot. This again reminds me of a moment in Hereditary, which is hmm. weird because Hereditary is definitely not like this kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is, this is the first time we see the killer use the arrows, right? Yeah. Um, I know that. Uh, what's his name? Is. Uh... I can't keep track of who died when. I think that, I think that's right. Yeah, because in the in the pad up to Ned, he has also had his neck cut. Yeah. Uh, so Marcy heads off to use the bathrooms, and someone enters them at the same time, but doesn't respond to her calling out. Some noises catch her attention, and while checking them out, she is ambushed by someone with an axe and killed by a blow to the face. There is a a great shot here as she's looking into a changing room or something, and you see the shadow of the axe raised on the wall behind her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's great. This axe, uh, also an MVP. Not uh, not to the extent of Ralph, but uh, we'll we'll get there later. Yeah, this is a fun axe. There's <laughs> a f- fairly central role, I think. Important character. Uh, we jump back to the fun cabin. Bill is shirtless and Brenda has been reduced to her underwear, but Alice is still fully clothed, clearly a master at Monopoly. <laughs> Brenda believes she has left the windows on her room open, so she heads out. Uh, off into the pouring rain in, like, nothing but her underwear and a raincoat, which, like, get dressed. Brenda? Please get dressed. It's cold out there. Uh, Steve is chilling at a diner, which is a, a really nice-looking place. I have a weird infatuation with, like, American diners, because mm-hmm. I don't live in America, so they are a weird, like, thing that pops up in towns occasionally here. I, you know what? I also have a fondness for them. <laughs> well, you live near them, so that's I, more normal. I mean, some of, I think uh, where I grew up, there weren't any, but um, moving to St. Louis, there are quite a few. Yeah, they are extremely a thing that gets like set up sometimes in England, and they are always like super overpriced food, but they are mm-hmm. like nice places, I guess. Yes, so Steve is at his diner, he pays for his coffee before leaving in the incredibly heavy rain to return to camp. Uh, Brenda also goes to the bathroom and hears noises, but doesn't notice anything and doesn't check them out. I assume, since we see some fingers curl around the curtain of a changing room, that this is Marty's body being removed. Mm-hmm. Since that body is not there. Steve immediately gets stranded as his jeep breaks down in the rain. Uh, but a, a friendly cop happens to pass by and give him a lift, <laughs> as they are want to do, I guess. Uh, we cut back to our familiar first-person perspective as someone peers in through Brenda's window. 
watching as she finishes writing something and then heads to bed to read. She hears a woman's voice call out for help through the rain and runs out to investigate. Very brave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find her skulking around at the archery range before the lights flash on and dazzle her as she backs away towards the targets. The camera cuts away, but her screams reveal that this time her attacker wasn't trying to kill her as a joke. Yeah, this is, um... It cuts away because you're, like, expecting the thing, which is like, oh, the lights are on, and now she's going to get hit with an arrow. But that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a, it's like a fun return back to that original <laughs> scene of now. And that's the last we see of Marcy, not Marcy, Brenda for a while. I put all of the characters' names in caps here to help me remember them. I'm glad, because Io didn't remember any of the characters' names. <laughs> I didn't until I went back to rewatch it for this. Uh, So Alice thinks she hears a scream and begins to busy herself in the room rather than think about it. She is surprised by Bill, who has been checking on the generator, and then explains her concerns about hearing a scream and seeing the archery range lights. The two go to check things out, but find Brenda's cabin empty save for the axe placed in her bed. Um, not just placed. That axe is tucked in so nice and sweet in that bed. Yes, clearly a mother's touch. It's so... Perfect. I fucking love it. It's It plays a little stink like you're supposed to be scared of the axe that is tucked into bed, but I found it very funny and cute. <laughs> um, there's also like some blood on the pillow, but the axe is clean from the look of things. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a little bit odd. So the two continue their search. They go to check on Jack and Marcy in their cabin in the bathrooms, but also find those empty. The bodies of Jack, Ned, and Marcy all having been removed. They then break into the camp office to try and call someone, but both the landline and payphone have been cut off, and their attempts to drive away fail as the only car there seems to malfunction. Bill insists that everything is fine. I love the scene with the car, because she's like, what's wrong with it? And he just says, it's wet. I don't know. <laughs> Bill clearly not a mechanic. It's fun <laughs> as well, because it's like not their car. Mm-hmm. They're just like, Let's, we are going to take this car. The cop has to respond to a car crash and ends up leaving Steve by the roadside to walk the rest of the way to camp, but he encounters someone familiar by the entrance. They are obscured by the glare of a torch so we don't get to see them, but Steve recognizes them just in the same moment as he is lethally stabbed in the chest. Good game, Steve. Thanks for playing. You'd hate to see it. Yeah. Oh well. You know, he'll always have The Simpsons to go back to. Or that, uh, that metal band. Oh, God. Uh, I know what that's called, but I can't remember. I don't remember either. It's that metal band, for people who don't know, I think they just all, the members, cosplay Ned Flanders? Yeah, it's probably called, like, the Ridley Diddleys or something. Yeah. Uh, Someone shuts down the generator, plunging the camp into darkness. Bill lights up some lamps and sets off to inspect the generator alone. Smart move, Bill. Uh, he puts down his raincoat and gets to work figuring out what's wrong with the generator, but it seems to be completely full of fuel. Alice enters the kitchen and anxiously makes coffee, once again busying herself rather than thinking about the fact that she's in a horror movie, before stealing herself and heading into the woods to look for Bill. She finds the generator shack open and empty, but as she closes the door behind herself, she finds him pinned to it by several arrows. That's, that's brutal. It's very good. Uh, she flees back to her cabin in terror, barricades the door to the best of her abilities, including some very like, smart rope work that I definitely wouldn't have thought of. Uh, and then she goes to look for more weapons in the kitchen when the body of Brenda crashes in through the window. 
She runs back to the other room, but sees a jeep's lights as it pulls up outside her cabin. Assuming it to be Steve, she rushes out to meet it, but Mrs. Voorhees appears and introduces herself as a friend of the Christie family instead. What a nice woman. Ah, uh, she seems nice. I love this little sequence where we've gone the entire movie with, like, nobody noticing anything is wrong, and then this chain of events just happens where she finds mm-hmm. Bill, then flees, immediately finds Brenda, and, like, will go on to find the rest of the kids. Finds Brenda, or Brenda is thrown through the window somehow. You could say that Brenda found Alice. You could say that. So, Alice explains the situation to Mrs. Voorhees in a panic, and Mrs. Voorhees leads her back to check out the cabin, after saying, oh, I'm, I'm very brave, she doesn't seem afraid of this situation at all. After finding the bodies, Mrs. Voorhees muses on what kind of monster could possibly have done these murders, and how terrible it is that the camp is open again. And did you hear about the boy, Jason, that drowned in 57? Mrs. Voorhees seems uneasily familiar with the situation, and reminisces about clearly watching her son drown, talking aloud to herself about how she's helping him. She explains to Alice that Jason was her son. Today is his birthday, and she cannot possibly let them open the camp again. Uh, what do you think of Mrs. Voorhees? I think she's great. Not particularly scary on her own, or not even, like, once she is, um, like, revealed and everything in this, in this climax of the movie, it's... She's not really all that effective either. It's just, it's just a cool old lady who is, may maybe possessed by a ghost. I, I like her a lot in these opening scenes, but as this stuff where she is like speaking to her son develops more, mm-hmm. I I find that that kind of ruins it a lot for me. Oh yeah, like the idea of just this like middle aged woman who is hellbent on revenge for her son is a lot like more threatening to me than the idea of like some crazy lady and Mm -hmm. horror movie has like this is a thing we're probably going to end up speaking about a lot but horror has kind of a constant problem with just like being really ableist and depicting people with mental illness as villains and scary Mm -hmm. yeah and i just i feel like it really didn't need to be her Mm mm-hmm I personally thought that it was like a literal ghost. I just took it at face value that the knowing what I do about this franchise from cultural osmosis, where as far as I know, Jason is just a ghost. Um, I just assumed that it was a ghost. Ah, uh, I guess I I know that like Jason is the killer in the others, and yeah. the strange thing about this one is that it isn't Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had this spoiled for me by the movie Scream, which, like, talks about this in the opening. Hmm. Um, funny, I haven't seen Scream, but I have seen Scream 4. Uh, it is a plot point in Scream that a character does not know this twist. It's very funny. Um, yeah, uh, Autumn was like, oh, yeah, that weird thing with the Friday the 13th, uh, like, writing credit rights is, it makes sense because of the twist. And I was like, what, what twist? But yeah, so she continues to blame Alice for Jason's death and attacks her with a knife, but Alice knocks her down with a iron poker from the fireplace. Alice rushes outside to find the jeep, but finds Alice's... not Alice, Annie's body in the passenger seat. She flees out into the woods, and then Steve's body flops down from a tree, just running into bodies in the woods here. (laughs) I love how it's just like... just 
finding bodies and then these like spring up out of nowhere like i don't really know how she rigged up all these bodies to like spook alice but it's very good yeah mrs Voorhees is incredibly quick while the setup especially with the the transition from throwing brenda's body through the window to pulling up in the car mm-hmm. like that's some that's some good work she's good she's, at this. she's crafty um so after Steve's body flops down from a tree, Mrs. Voorhees gets up and gives chase, while talking to herself in a different voice as if she was her son. Uh, Alice finds her way into a shack that is just full of guns. They are lining the walls in this room, while Mrs. Voorhees runs off to turn the generator back on. Guns, guns everywhere, but not a bullet to drink. Nope, they are unfortunately, I assume, locked up in a drawer that she cannot get into. Mrs. Voorhees enters the gun shack and continues to speak to herself as she attacks Alice, just slapping the hell out of her a bunch, um, instead of killing her, mm-hmm. which is weird, but okay. You gotta do the fisticuffs. True, yeah, you know, what, live mass, Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> um, Mrs. Voorhees is a true example of the live mass lifestyle. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so eventually, Alice manages to hit her with the unloaded gun and knocks her down for a second time, once again fleeing back into the woods. She gives Mrs. Voorhees the slip and heads back to her own cabin, where she tries out some very bad hiding spots before locking herself in the pantry. Mrs. Voorhees immediately forces her way into the pantry before attacking Alice with, I assume, build machete? Uh, mm-hmm. I hope there isn't just several machetes hanging around this camp. Uh, it's the snake-killing but- machete. Yes, there's, there's one kill on this machete already. It is proven. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't get one here, as Alice immediately hits Mrs. Voorhees on the head with a frying pan and knocks her seemingly unconscious. Uh, three strikes and she's out, I guess. Mm-hmm. Alice then heads back out to the lakeside and is immediately ambushed again. But this time, I... So this shot is unclear, but my read was that she spotted Mrs. Voorhees in the water's reflection first, hmm. right? Because she stands up and blocks the machete strike with an oar. The two struggle. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Voorhees clearly like dazed her. She's kind of staggering around a lot in a way she didn't do earlier. Mm-hmm. It's the arthritis. Yeah, and the frying pan to the head, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, the two squabble on the sand for a while before Alice eventually manages to break away, pick the machete up, and dramatically behead Mrs. Voorhees. In slow motion. Yes, very like gratuitous slow motion, as Mrs. Voorhees grasps at the air, headless. Uh, Alice then takes the boat out into the middle of the lake, falling asleep in it until she is discovered by police the following morning. Music swells as she wakes up, looking relieved, before a boy emerges from the lake and drags her down into it. She wakes up again, in a hospital bed, screaming, the boy in the lake just a nightmare. A police officer confirms with her that everyone at the camp was dead, but Alice has trouble separating the events of the night from her nightmare as she asks about the boy in the lake, who was never found. Uh, the camera then slowly zooms into the waters of Camp Crystal Lake, A small ripples appear on the surface. At the end.
So I, I know that rest of the movies are about Jason, and watching this one makes me wonder if that was always the intention, because it seems like intentionally unclear to me, this ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that Jason wasn't in this movie. I mean, he is technically in this movie, but I didn't realize that, like, <clears throat> the whole, like, iconic thing with the the mask and the... I guess, like, does, is Jason known to use a machete a lot? Is that a thing? Because that is kind of neat. I believe so, yeah. He just kind of, um, like, inherits that. Yeah, I, I noted that, like, Jason isn't in this movie as the killer, but a lot of what I understand from, like, Jason's mannerisms as, like, this slasher character who is just kind of unstoppable and bulky and just kind of keeps coming actually, like, reads really well in Mrs. Voorhees. Mm-hmm. Like, she is bigger than Alice. She isn't, like, skinny or anything. She isn't, like, a tank, but she's a little bit larger. Yeah. She uses a machete. And she just, like, keeps coming, even after, like, severe head injury. Yeah, she just, just like Hideo Kojima, just, just keeps coming. After severe head injuries? I mean, it's possible. I'm not ruling that out. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's really easy for me to see how this moved on into being about Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely some of the supernatural stuff clearly feeds into the Jason stuff. I don't think this movie needed it so much. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, there's a I different version of this movie that doesn't have anything to do with Jason that is still a pretty good horror movie. Yeah, I was going to say, there's like, definitely an interpretation of this movie where the supernatural stuff is just superstition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, like, mental... Like, the, the conversation with between Steve and the cop, where the cop is talking about how everything is worse on Friday the 13th, and Steve just like completely dismisses it. It's like that's it. That's superstition. That's science. Yeah. Um, but also that version of the movie is like very ableist. So I don't know if I like that interpretation either. Mm-hmm. Um, All I know is eventually Jason goes to space, and I want to see it. I want to see that journey. I am excited to get there. It's very. <laughs> it's very funny that we have this like a very humble beginning. Just a, a lake, a camp, and lots of kids getting horribly murdered. And that ends up in space. Eventually. We'll get there someday. Always things to look forward to. <clears throat> so, um, how did you how did you like this uh, this movie on the whole? Uh, I think overall, like aside from the, the little things that I picked out as we went through, mm-hmm. uh, I think I really like this movie. Yeah, um, issues with, like, ableism and racism aside. Uh, yeah, jeez. I'd I say think... it was a, a product of its time, but we incredibly still make all of these mistakes in 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, two days ago, I saw the Joker movie, and uh, yeah, we sure do. We sure do still make these uh, these choices in media. It is unfortunate. But yeah, this was like a, very, a very humble beginning for... Well, not a beginning for slashes. There was obviously other slasher movies that were before this one. Um, but this is a big one that a lot of people know. Obviously, it gave birth to a very long-running franchise. And for the beginning of it, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not scared at all. Uh, it was just a very enjoyable movie. And very enjoyable to watch all these children get killed. But <laughs> I just absolutely love it when all the kids get killed and then one of them fights back. A format that will spend the test of time. Um... Like, 
there are plenty of other genres of horror movie that I'm sure we'll find ones as we go on that will make me very, very scared. But this was just a, a nice, fun little little camp, a little lakeside romp. Yeah, I, I, someone can obviously correct me here if I am wrong, but I think slashes as a whole tend to skew more on like the thriller side of things. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, cause like, you, you know, people are going to get killed. You know, who's doing the killing for the most part. You are there to watch it happen. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, have like an extensive history with horror. So like, um, this and I guess it, Halloween counts as, a, as one of these, right? Uh, I believe so. I haven't seen Halloween. I saw it a couple of years ago and I really liked it. That movie's really great. Yeah, um, I think that is, like, the formative slasher from mm-hmm. what I've read about Friday the 13th. I think it was kind of building on Halloween's, like, popularity and success. Yes, I've I read something like that, yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of my experiences with horror so far haven't been in, like, the slasher genre. They've been a lot more broader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, like, I don't know that Carrie would count as a slasher, but it is definitely about just, like, people getting murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie is like the girl with psychic powers or something, right? Yes, Carrie is a lot more on the like the clearly supernatural end mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a very like similar coda at the end, uh, which I guess is probably just a thing we're going to see a lot with like the person who survives, mm-hmm. not being sure if the thing is still coming for them or not. Uh, but yeah, that was so that- Friday the thirteenth. It sure was. Uh, Do we want to talk about the word licensing situation with this a little bit? Yeah. Uh, you had some trouble watching this movie. Yeah. So for me, in the in the United Kingdom, uh, the basically the only way I could watch this digitally I found was through through Google. It was mm-hmm. not on like any other service I had access to. Um, I also like couldn't just buy a DVD of this from from Jeff Bezos or whatever. Uh, like <laughs> brackets, fuck Jeff Bezos. That sometimes I buy things from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we later discovered there is like some weird situation with the rights on who owns them. Right. So there's a thing where, uh, pe- like, uh, musicians and writers. I don't. I would assume other people as well. But uh, after I think thirty-five years, can take back ownership of their component parts of a movie. Um, which is like a thing that, what from what I read, is is a primarily a right exercise by musicians, which makes sense. Um, so the per- the writer for this movie. Um owns the name Friday the 13th, but doesn't own Jason Voorhees because he shows up in the second movie. Despite being in this movie, but the iconic, like, design of him as a killer is in the the other movies, not in this one. So it's like, there's been a protracted legal battle over rights, over, like, who owns the Friday the 13th, like IP and w- how does it work when it's split up and it's divided like that? Um, it's a whole thing, and uh, for, I remember hearing about it a couple years ago, and I think it like put a big delay on that Friday the Thirteenth video game that came out like a year or two ago. 
Ah, that makes sense. But um, I think the game's really good. I can definitely see how that like intersects weirdly with this first movie not being about Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like the argument was like, well, Jason as the killer is not a product of this movie. So and the other the next movie is uh, written by someone different. So it's yeah. a whole thing, and it seems very complicated and messy. Yeah, like th- this very first one was directed by Sean Cunningham and written by Victor Miller, who I don't think work on the franchise again at all until one of the later ones. Yeah, Sean Cunningham produced on Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, which was far, far later. That's the. But that's not the last one, right? No, that's the that's the ninth movie. So the one after that is when Jason goes to space. Hell yeah, that's Jason X. Yeah, yeah. Jason X, which takes place. I'm reading now in the year twenty four fifty five. Hell yeah! God, I can't wait. <laughs> the writer Victor Miller doesn't. I don't think he wrote on any of the others. Mm-hmm. Which I I does guess kind of makes sense in the the way this franchise swerved after this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, do you have anything else you want to cover? Uh, I don't think I have... Uh, I do have one last thing to say, which is um, like Alice uh, in this movie is uh, cute. Yep. Do agree. Was rooting for the entire time. Very glad she made it. Yeah. Um, um, seems a bit traumatized by her experiences, but I am not surprised. That was pretty rough, the experience that she had. Yeah. Uh, the one of the benefits of this being such a long-running thing is that um, moving forward, uh, we're not just going to watch Friday the Thirteenth movies on this podcast. We're going to watch a whole bunch of stuff, but I do want to make our way through that as we go. Um, I'm excited for like the inevitable thing where, like, in the sixth movie, Alice shows up as a cameo or something because like these movies are just going on forever. <laughs> so I read a thing accidentally and i do know that alice does show up again and it's oh. um i don't know bad? i don't know that you want to know what happens to alice oh now i don't but i will someday we'll find out we did get an email about this movie yes we have some questions to go through yes these come in from traumatized who writes uh did you find this movie scary i think we uh Mentioned that one already. Um, yeah. I didn't find it particularly scary. <clears throat> there were some brief jump scares that got me, but I'm like very, very susceptible to jump scares. Mm-hmm. I've, oh, I hate jump scares. Um, it, one of them got me in like the fourth Paranormal Activity movie that I was watching with the, these like shitty bro co-workers that I was uh, hanging oh, out yeah. with a lot that year. Um, in the waning years of my boyhood experience. Um, and I was so mad that it got me. I was so f- just crossing my arms in the th- in the theater, just like I can't believe this move, this fucking movie made me jump in my seat. I'm so upset. I wasn't scared. I was just like annoyed that it had happened. <laughs> it sucks. In the cinema that I frequent in the like in England, when I'm going to go watch movies, they have uh, you know the like the reminder to turn your phone off and so on that I assume mm-hmm. all cinemas have. But even if you're not watching a horror movie, this advert is set up as like a period of silence before a really loud voice goes boo, and it <laughs> scares the shit out of me every goddamn time. That's rough. Uh, it is the worst. 
What do you all think of the first-person shots in this movie? I think there are more first-person shots in this movie than in the Doom movie. If we can stretch our definition of horror to include the Doom movie at some point, I would love to watch the Doom movie. That movie's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I would very much like to see that again at some point. <laughs> uh, I um, like them. Uh, I think that... Um, I don't really know what this movie... I, I feel like it's such an integral part of this movie's identity at this like i don't know if this is a thing that continues in the other films but it's like when i think about this movie the, those shots are like a big part of my memory yeah i really like them they i think they're a, like a very good fun way of showing like perspective and the reactions to a character without revealing their identity mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah i like them a lot are you surprised at the tone of this movie um, a little bit. I was I was not expecting something so, I guess, subdued. Like, I know that as someone who has mainly only seen, like, horror movies from the last 15 years, I know that, like, if we go back to the classics or whatever the canon is, it's going to be a very different atmosphere. Uh, but I was still not quite um, expecting something that was just so even and steady and like when the first uh murder happens uh autumn and i were like oh we're in it now okay i didn't know we were in it this is happening <laughs> i feel the tone is like more or less what i expected having seen like some adjacent movies mm-hmm. um lots of just like the characters hanging out with peaks of things happening yeah uh, and then obviously like a build towards the ending yeah uh, who's your favorite character? Oh, I think we know. I think we know. It's that hatchet in, tucked into bed. <laughs> uh, if I would allow myself a joke answer, it would be Ralph. Mm-hmm. Great guy. Um, but yeah, it's Alice. She's it's happy. Alice. I'm glad she made it out. I love her hair. Uh, she beheaded someone in this movie. She sure did. Love a guy that can behead someone. Honestly. Um, what's your favorite scene in the movie? It toss up for me between Alice heating up water in the kettle in the kitchen and Jason grabbing Alice in the canoe. Um, uh, it's extremely Alice opening the pantry to reveal Ralph, right? <laughs> Can't blood, you're all doomed. It's a death curse. It's got a death curse. Ah, uh, that's great. It's, a, it's such a good scene. It's so goofy. I don't know if it's supposed to be as funny as it is. I think my only th- uh, answer that other than that scene is the snake fight. Ooh, that is also good. Just the Calling it com- the snake fight is funny, but... <laughs> <laughs> the way they completely fuck that cabin up is they, they didn't need to. They didn't need to do that. They didn't need to completely fuck that cabin up, and they sure did. Yeah, it was so uncalled for. Like, Jack stumbles in immediately and knocks a dresser over, just like throws it <laughs> on the ground. <clears throat> I'm not convinced that they weren't, like, just told to mess this room up and try and make it look accidental. <laughs> um, what do you all come to slasher movies for in general? I think Halloween's the only other kind of thing like this I've seen. Um, honestly, um, as as the, like, the lore-liker, I'm invested in, the, in watching this... In particular, uh, like, evolve in terms of story. And, like, I want to know why Jason goes to space. <laughs> I want to know, like, 
What goofy hijinks Mike Myers is going to get into? Sorry. <laughs> wow. i got to say Michael Myers, because otherwise people will think I'm talking about Austin Powers. <laughs> oh, I do believe he also goes to space. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I've, I've very much lost track of what happens in the Austin Powers movies. Um, um, oh, I thought you meant Michael Myers. But yes. Uh, um, yeah, I'm interested in the, like, uh, compounding, like, necessity of, like, every movie has to work. And, like, on a franchise that's very long, you have to, like, still have the scene where uh, Mrs. Voorhees explains what's going on or, like, tell basically lays out what's going on. You have to, like, keep doing that, even if everybody knows. So it's, like, you have to keep adding layers of lore um, so I'm very interested to see what new lore we're going to uncover about Jason Voorhees in the future. Ah, uh, see, for me, I come to the slasher movies to see people get horribly murdered. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then definitely, like, the reversal mm-hmm. of someone fighting back and winning. I think that's an important part of the, like, the arc of a movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it is, like, a long franchise like this where they just come back over and over and over. Yeah. If if people didn't like it, they wouldn't have made so many of them, I assume. Well, that's not true. I mean, that's not how capitalism works, but, you know. No. <laughs> uh, so our next question is, do you think that Mrs. Voorhees was a good villain? Yeah, sure. I like her a lot. Yeah, I think for me, I have to return to the, the, uh, the thing of, like, I think she would be better if she was just out for vengeance. I think mm-hmm. the stuff of having, like, this weird alternate personality of her son haunting her wasn't really needed. Like, yeah, that's that's fair. The idea of just, like, this approachable looking, like, suburban mom actually being a fucking murderer is threatening enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I apologize again, like, for the, uh, plane that has decided to make a cameo on our podcast. Uh, we do live, like, five miles away from the airport, so... I didn't uh, realize until now that that was going to happen at some point. <laughs> I can't say I heard it. But yeah, I can see why the, the narrative idea of Jason Voorhees as this like bulky, unstoppable machete killer comes from her. Mm-hmm. Um, he clearly didn't fall very far from the tree, even though he landed in the lake. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lake tree. Classic lake tree. Uh, what did you think of the soundtrack for this movie? I did not notice it most of the time, which is probably sometimes a a good thing. Um, I like yeah. the piano at the end. That, I, that was the one part that I did notice. Is like uh, the the very soft piano as we look over the lake, and I yeah. I don't know if Friday the Thirteenth has a theme song or like a, a recurring motif, but. Uh, I'm sure it worked in, like, the scenes where they used music, but after the two rewatches I've done, I can't say any of the music stuck with me particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our final question is, what was your favorite kill in the movie? <sighs> um, that arrow is really impressive. It is good. Uh, just the way it's so sudden, just like the grab and then the instant put through from beneath the bed. Yeah, I'm going to um, go with that one. Mine's Arrow adjacent. I think even though we don't see it, like Brenda being like dazzled at the archery range and then it cutting mm-hmm. away as we know what happens really worked well for me, I think. Yeah, it was great. 
Uh, and that was our final question. Thank you, Traumatized. I think that's a podcast. Yes, that has been Friday the 13th. I think we covered everything there. Yeah. Now for the the other how many? Many, many films. Uh, just uh, lots of movies. <laughs> um, we have a list of movies. Uh, we have like three lists of movies that uh, uh, we want either we want to watch or people have recommended. Uh, you can always submit uh, recommendations to our uh, email address, which is exportaudiopodcast at gmail.com. And just put uh, Cower Hour in the subject line so we know which podcast that email's for. Yeah, if there's movies you would like us to cover and you think are particularly interesting for this, that, or the other reason, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I, like I said, don't have a lot of experience, so I am uh, at the whims of algorithms and hearsay at this point as for what things I'm going to put forward. I absolutely have movies I want to get you to watch at some point. Oh yeah, me too for you. Um, Also, Vita gave me like a whole list. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I've looked over that and there's definitely movies that I've heard like very good things about. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh So I have one last question for you. Hit me. Where can people find you online? Well, if they want to find me, they can find links to everything I do, as well as my bad tweets about Gundam at Wagazelle on Twitter. How about you? I can be found on Twitter at NeitherNora or at Zoe underscore Mars, Zoe with an X. And you can find my poetry and fiction at medium.com slash at Zoe Mars, again with an X, but no underscore that time. I'm all over the place and I do lots of stuff. So check it out. Oh, good to have things. Also, this uh, podcast is on the Export Audio Podcast Network, which you can find at exportodd.io. We have a lot of other podcasts here. We have Time to Go Titans, which is a Teen Titans rewatch podcast I do with my fiance. Uh, We have Export Audio, sort of the flagship title, which is a comedy podcast about bullshit and talking about media, which I also do with my fiance. Uh, (laughs) And um, other stuff like Halcyon Station, a Star Wars actual play, Duneversity, a Dune reread podcast, which is also like secretly the not see not even secretly anymore. It is just the best podcast on this network. I really, I love the University of All of My Heart. University is maybe the funniest podcast. <laughs> um, and No Look Pass, a uh, basketball podcast hosted by three people who don't watch basketball. It's great. They're all very good. We are very close to the titular hour. That's it. Uh, thank That's you a podcast. For listening. That's a podcast. Uh, this is this is where I'll edit in a sign off once I think of a really smart one. Yeah, um, you'll you'll edit it in. Yes, that is definitely in the file right here. Time's up for the Cower Hour. Join us next time as we watch The Witch, a New England folktale. But until then, good night. Wow, me, that was a really smart thing I just said. What a great sign off. Thanks. Do, uh, do you want to do like a like a sign off or like a? No, I'm I'm definitely I'm giving her. The podcast is done, I think.